Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the late, great Bobby Hull, a.k.a. the Golden Jet, a legend for the Chicago Blackhawks and the Winnipeg Jets and one of the NHL's greatest players. We're also going to talk about the NHL All-Star Game and Skills Competition that happened recently, the 2023 NHL Skills Competition in Florida and an All-Star Game in Florida. Those are our uh, our two big topics for today. Tim, what's going on? What's the latest? The latest is that I I don't know. I was going to come up with something, but I have nothing. You had two weeks to think of something. I've got nothing. Busy all the time, and I don't want to be. you got to master the art of small talk, my friend. All my talk is small. You're just saving all your talking for important things and not like, I'm fine, how are you, and, and vapid stuff like that. I'm good at vapid, but I got nothing going on other than the same old crap. That's really it. Oh, you know, I'll throw this out real quick. I'm going to be doing another one of those LedX card shows at the Rosemont Skyline Room in Rosemont, Illinois, not far from Chicago. That's going to be Saturday, February 18th from 9 to 3 p.m. There's going to be two autograph guests, Steve Larmer and Andrew Shaw. So two hockey, yeah, two hockey autograph guests at this show. Autographs are $20 each. If you pay $20 for Shaw's autograph, then you get a $20 Ludex Loot gift certificate that could be spent at the show. So it's like basically getting a free autograph from Andrew Shaw. You pay 20 bucks for his autograph, but then you get a $20 coupon that you could go and spend at any dealer table. Steve Larmer, also $20. So two Blackhawks legends for what I think is a very affordable price, considering that 20 bucks is like nothing these days. Will Larmer sign Ludzig's card? You know, that's a great question. So those who don't know, Steve Larmer and Steve Ludzik, I call it the Steve swap. So Steve Larmer appeared on Steve Ludzik's rookie card. Steve Ludzik appeared on Steve Larmer's rookie card. Now, I do actually have both of them signed by Steve Larmer. The funny thing is, is that when I got Larmer's card signed, I didn't realize the picture was Steve Ludzik. You know, I just got into hockey that year. So it was just a player, and I said, oh, that's weird. He's got a little mustache. It must have been something that he wore when he was a rookie, you know, had a mustache. But he just signed it. He didn't even question it. But then the card that says Steve Ludzik, that pictures Steve Larmer, that he'll sign because that's him that's pictured. I know a lot of players won't sign a card that doesn't picture them, but maybe the Larmer card picturing Ludzik. Maybe that was a mistake because I got that signed in 1990. So maybe it was just kind of an accidental thing. You know, a lot of times you'd skate up to the players. It was at this thing called Skate with the Hawks. And, you know, they would just take the card. They just sign it really quick and hand it back to you. It'd be interesting to, to know if, and, and do you get, which one do you get signed or do you get them both signed? Like I have them both signed. You should try to see if you can like secretly slide him one just to see if he notices. Yeah. I'll try to find that out. Anyway, so The All-Star Game, you know, I had to eat my words pretty quickly because somebody put on Twitter, I forgot who it was, but I think they listened to the show, and if they do, great. But they said something like, this All-Star Skills Competition is terrible. And I said, really? I'm enjoying it so far. 
And he's like, oh, okay, well, I, if you're enjoying it, sure. But then like 45 minutes later, I replied and I'm like, yeah, now I'm not enjoying it anymore. It started out cool, the skills competition. So that was in Florida. And they had a couple of new events this year. And, you know, it's the same thing. It was a three-on-three. The game was three-on-three. So you had nine skaters and two goalies from each division. Uh, We'll talk about the games itself in a minute. But here's my biggest problem. There was too much back and forth between the different events. They had some events that were pre-recorded earlier in the day, which is fine. Because if this thing is airing in the evening and you want to show stuff from the afternoon, I get it. I totally understand why they'd have to do that because they want to show the beach during the day, not during the night, but they want to televise the thing at night. So I got that. And well, in hindsight, it's 2020 about all that too, because did you see what happened to the weather the next day? No, it was horrible. Oh, well, it's horrible. That's good that they it was got raining it raining and windy and it was just nasty the next day. So there's no way they could have even done that. I agree with you though. That, that was one thing that I, I kind of took notes as I was going and the events broken up like that. Just the whole thing was discombobulated. I couldn't keep track. Now I get that if Sidney Crosby is getting dunked in a dunk tank in the splash shot competition, then he can't be ready to be on the ice in 10 minutes for the accuracy shooting. I get that you need some time, even if it's just earlier in the day, later in the day, that's fine. Whereas like players can go from an on ice to another on ice event pretty quickly. I didn't even like the fact that they had the fastest skater way later. Like they started it early and then they went later on like, okay, now it's the finals. I'm like, oh, we're still doing this. Okay, whatever. I don't know if you noticed, but the outside events were not edited very well (laughs) when they actually broadcast them. You'll see at the end when they have the winners. Rantanen is soaking wet and he's in the dunk tank, but they didn't lose. So you're like, why is he wet? Because if you remember, the last shooter in that was uh, Shesterkin and he was firing with his goalie stick and he didn't dunk him. But yet when they go to do the interview, he's all soaking wet. I'm like, what is happening here? Well, apparently they they let uh, Shesterkin keep shooting. So like they show him come over to the side and he's like, oh, well, whatever. But that didn't happen until after they told him, keep going. And he kept going, but they edited and cut that part out. People were posting that extra video on social media. But it's like, do you not think we're going to notice that kind of stuff? Here's what bugged me about it. Yeah. Number one, and I have a lot of gripes about this, but in the grand scheme, does it matter? Probably not. But there were so many microphones, which is cool. Because you want to hear what goes on. You like to hear the players talking. You like to hear all that. But because there were so many mics, there was so much feedback. And the sound, the wavering sound issues, where it was just like, woo, 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 just all the time. When they would switch from one mic to the next, to the next, to the next, it was just constant. I had to turn the volume down so many different times on my TV because it was just crazy. And they kept picking up hot mics and... There was all kinds of stuff. And even the editing, the editing for the outdoor stuff, when they would cut in between, there was one part where I think you could hear the guys in the booth talking because they just like had it totally screwed up. So there was a lot of a lot of issues with that. And I get it. 
But the other thing that bugged me, they tried to involve the women players again. That part doesn't bug me. I'm glad they did. I think they should. But they talked over all their intros. So when they were introducing the players, everybody just kept talking. Yes. Like So they were announcing it in the stadium, but you had no clue what was even going on. The girls were just standing there, and the guys on the mics were just blah, 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 blah. They didn't let them compete individually, at least from any of the things that I saw. They were part of the... The attendee tandem. The, yeah, that was it. I couldn't remember what it was called. The attendee we'll tandem. talk more about that. Yeah. I have thoughts. They were, they were part of that. And then when Sarah Nurse basically undressed Justerkin with that Forsberg move, which was cool. And yeah, maybe he didn't try as hard on that shot, but still, he got beat. It's like they didn't even care. All they wanted to talk about is somehow, some way, she's a distant cousin of Dardell Nurse. It's like, really? Is that what we're going to do? She's a better player than Darnell Nurse. I'm sorry, but she is. So if you're going to bring them in and you're going to try to give them credit and feature them and, you know, let them have that, I don't want to say participation opportunity, but if you're going to do that, at least do it and don't like brush it aside, you know, make something out of it. I don't know. That bugged me. That really bugged me. I don't understand why. You know, a couple of years back, they had a couple of women, or at least one, one if I remember correctly, do the fastest skater competition. Yeah, Kendall Coyne Schofield did. Yeah, and she placed pretty high. Like, was it like third maybe or, or something? She was... Yeah. I, I mean, I might be wrong about that, but I know for a little while she was like up there. I mean, she was one of the faster skaters in the competition. See, here's the thing. And this goes back to why the NHL really needs to embrace a women's hockey league. It's like they keep the PHF at arm's length because it's not their thing. So it's kind of like if it was the National Women's Hockey League and it was affiliated like the WNBA is affiliated with the NBA, then we might see more synergy between the two. But it's kind of like they're like saying, hey, hockey's for everybody, but, you know, kind of like on our terms when we feel like it and when it's convenient. Now, I get that. People the NHL who, basically ignores the PHF. Yeah, yeah, they the do. The only well, one they talk about is the PWHPA, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. Their league is separate from the PHF. Oh, right. And I'm sorry. I can't keep track there's of two, all Remember, there's two different women's leagues. Yes. So there's the one league that the NHL sort of acknowledges that they exist, and then there's the PHF, which Upper Deck acknowledges exists because they make cards of them. That's a mess, too, because there should really be one league, one league that's popular or more popular than two leagues that are kind of not very popular. There's people who are going to watch women's hockey. But like I said, I can find a WNBA game a lot easier than I can find a women's hockey game. I'm getting off topic here, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it would have been nice if they had a couple of the women player do like the accuracy shooting. That would have been cool to see. Or fastest skater. It's like the first time it's going to be a token thing. Like, hey, this one women player is going to compete in the fastest skater competition. But now after that, it still feels like it's token. And I can understand because if you're there to see Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin, maybe you don't want to see 
other players who are not NHL players compete in this thing. And I've always found the skills competition more exciting than the all-star game. That To me, that's the real all-star game. That's when you see what the all-stars can really do. When you have Ray Bork shoot four for four or take your pick. I mean, that's just one that always stands out to me as just like, wow, this is one of the greatest players of all time. And that's what you want to see. Or is Adano Chara slap shot at 109 miles an hour or whatever, right? Like these are like the all-stars doing all-star things. I kind of get that, but I feel like either don't have the women players involved at all or have them involved and make it more than just like a one-off, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, they don't need to be the ones standing there passing pucks. Yeah, or... right? It's dumb. Anyway, yeah, they didn't utilize that right. You know, you brought up a point about this is, you know, the All-Stars showing off their ability to do all of these goofy things. You know, I don't know if you watch football and if you watched anything with the Pro Bowl or anything. Did the Pro not. Bowl this year in the NFL is was not a football game. Well, it was a football game, but it wasn't like actual football. It was flag football. And they just did multiple versions of the team based off of the players that were available and just basically did multiple small games. And then they awarded the champion, whoever won out of all of the games that they played, plus all of the other events that were mixed in with there were just all these ridiculous things that had essentially nothing to do with football. And I think you're going to see more and more of that as time goes on with these all-star events pushing away from the actual all-star game itself. Because, look, a couple shows ago or maybe one show ago, I don't know, I got on my soapbox about how important the all-star game is and how it means something and this, that, and the other. And I still believe that. But I think for the skills, if you're going to do these events like they had, you know, the splash shot thing, okay, that was kind of cool and it fits within that mold. Who knows what they'll do next year in Toronto, something Toronto themed, I guess. Um, but you're at the beach, you know, hit pucks, knock over surfboards, dunk somebody in a dunk tank. Great. You're always going to have the fastest skater. That's a marquee event. You're always going to have the hardest shot. That's a marquee event. You know, whatever else you mix in with that, you know, so be it. This is what I think they should do. Like in baseball, where not the, every player that hits in the home run derby is in the all-star game, mm-hmm. bring in players that can do these things that are featured type players that can make crazy trick shots and shoot the puck super hard and all of that kind of stuff. Because the fastest shot aren't always all-stars. And considering what the rules are for voting people into the all-star game, chances are some of these guys are never going to even take a sniff at an all-star game. Mm -hmm. But they may also have the fastest or the hardest shot. They may skate the fastest, you know, they may be the most accurate but they may not be an all-star. So you would never see them compete in these events. I think you bring these guys in like the breakaway challenge. Why not put somebody creative out there? Even if they're not an all-star, everybody talked about Trevor Zegers for so long with all of his craziness. Why not bring him in, give him the opportunity to one up himself from a year or so ago. Let's talk about the Tendi tandem. That could be the all-stars because really, what do you got? You got a player that, passes the puck back to the goalie. The goalie shoots the puck down at the other end, and depending on where he hits, that's how many players are going to have to go up against the opposing team's goaltender, whether one player, two player, or three player. I in, I understood the concept after a couple times through. 
Right. But it but it took me a second. It was a little and confusing think, at first. Yeah, it yeah. was confusing. And I don't think some of the players even knew what was going on. Well, I think what was confusing was like, I understood the one, two, or three thing. But then I was like, oh, wait a minute. So if you're a goalie from the, say, Central Division, you see Saros, right? So he shoots the puck. There was a board over the net. And there was a slot that was about, I'd say it's about two feet wide. It seemed like it was about a third of the bottom of the net, like right in the center. And if you hit that slot for the goal, you get three points. If you hit the board, that's two points. And if you miss the net, or what is it? If you hit the post, that was one point. If it you had to be it, a shot on goal, right? So if it was a shot on goal, two guys would come on the breakaway. And if, if it you went got to, it in the hole, in the bottom, the five hole, right in the center, kind of like they do during intermission at the Hawks. Right. Games. If you got it right through that hole, then it was three on, on one. Right. But if you hit the post or you missed the net, it was one. Just one. Just one player. Yeah. So, and, and I because guess. Because remember, hitting a post doesn't count as a shot on goal. Oh, well, but, or that, but that would still be one player. It's when it's one player, right? The post or missing the net completely is one. So let me so ask that, you this. Theoretically speaking, and neither of us are goaltenders here, but if you're a goalie, what would you have the most trouble with? A one on O, a two on O, or a three on O? I mean, I have my answer. Do you want to know what it is? I didn't even have sure. to think about it that long. Two on O yeah. is the worst. If it's a one on O, a breakaway, I know the guy's going to shoot it. He's not going to pass it to anybody. He's going to shoot it. He's uh, He might fake me. He might just take a shot. But this is the guy who's going to shoot the puck. If it's a two on O, I don't know who's shooting. If it's a three on O, I don't know who's shooting. But... The three on O was too confusing. It was too confusing for the players. You had players make one too many passes. Everybody was trying to be nice and, and oh, let somebody else shoot it. And so more often than not, the three on O's didn't work because in more of a game situation, if you have a three on O, you're going to keep one guy high, the high slot. When I did my adult hockey lessons and they're explaining this to us, they said, if you're the third man in, you go high. You don't have three guys crash the net at the same time. You have one go this way, you have one go this way, and then you have one be that option either for a rebound or for a pass back, right? High slot. So you're not getting that with this sort of thing. You're getting three people crashing the net because you can't really pass the puck backwards to a guy at the blue line. So it's not that dynamic like it would be in a game. So I kind of liked the goalie trying to score aspect. But then the whole like, oh, and he got it through the holes. And then that means that three of his teammates get to attack the opposing goaltender, right? Like you're sticking it to the other goalie on the other team if you score a goal. It was a little too high concept. It was a good draft, but it needs work. Yeah, needs that's, that's exactly show. it. They took a risk with an event that tried to incorporate pretty much every participant in the whole event. And... You know, the women players, the men players, the all-stars, whoever was involved. And, you know, you take everybody, give them an opportunity to do something. But, yeah, just all of the rules and explanations and everything else, it was just like, come on, this is out of hand. <laughs> like, this is too much. When the yeah. players don't know what's going on, it was fine. So, like I said before we started all this, the highlight of the whole thing, 
I think with Sarah Nurse scoring. Yeah. Yeah, that so. was a nice goal. But I just want to say real quick, like, I think what I would do next time is I would do these just as separate things. I think a two-on-O could be fun, a one-on-O, a two-on-O, a three-on-O. That could be fun. Do you remember the events that they used to have? Like, they'd have the goaltender in there, and then they'd have a player come up, and they'd have, like, I don't know, seven or ten hockey pucks just lined up, and they just had to just blister them at the goaltender. Yeah, the rapid just fire. Just one after the other, the rapid mm-hmm. fire. Bring that back. That was fun. That was or chaos. Or when, when they do the breakaway thing, do it like they used to do. The one guy goes, shoots, and as soon as he's past the net, the next guy's ready, geared up and ready to go. Yep. And just keep sending them. And, and it would do go something back like and that. forth. It yeah, would go back and, do, and forth. Do something like that. I mean, that way you can get everybody involved and you could cycle through the whole entire team. Yeah, well, I remember like with the breakaway challenge, the old way they would do it is they'd have a goalie from one conference on one side and a goalie from the other conference on the other side. And so maybe the Western Conference takes their shot first. And then as soon as they're done, then the Eastern Conference guy is going to take his shot. So there was very little downtime. It was very back and forth. It was very exciting. It was almost like a game. And they would always save that for the end. And that was always an event where when they were keeping score of like who wins the Eastern or the Western or the Campbell or the the Wales conference, that that was kind of like the event that was so weighted and there was so much shooting that a team that was like far behind could catch up and win the events uh, or or win win the competition with, with the breakaway challenge. I say bring that back. Make it flashy. I don't know. Add something. We got one more thing we got to talk about before we go to the all-star game itself. We got to talk about PK Subban. I like PK Subban and I just felt like for somebody with such a great personality, he felt like he did not fit in at this event. Like when he was talking with McKinnon and McDavid in the locker room, that was just like a very awkward conversation. Like they like Subban and he likes those players. There was obviously respect and infinity for each other, but there was no rapport. When Subban asked McDavid, like, you got to pick one of these nicknames. Do you want, what was it? McJesus, Mick, forgot what the second one was. And then the third one was, or Mickey Mouse. And I'm just like, why, why would you, why would you say that? And then McDavid says, I hate Mickey Mouse. And Later on, I realized that Mickey Mouse Disney owns ESPN and ABC. So that was just kind of funny, although I don't think he realized it. Now, if Subban had said, or Mickey Mouse, who owns ESPN, who's televising this event, wink, then that might have been funny, like kind of like a, a funny setup. But, you know, that and then when he was like when he was out on the ice with Pasternak, who was wearing a, a Happy Gilmore jersey. Did you, did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. And he's just like. Come on, Happy Gilmore, shoot the puck. Come on, Happy Gilmore, shoot the puck. And I'm like, no, 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 PK, you, you need one of those hats. You should have come out, done a full-on Carl Weathers as Chubbs and Happy Gilmore and be like, okay, now you just got to, te- er, all right, now, Happy, the ball's there. It's lying on the thing. All you got to do is just send it home. Don't you want to send the ball home? Just tap it in, right? PK could have said that. That would have been freaking hilarious, but it's like, He had to keep shouting, come on, Happy Gilmore, like people wouldn't get that Pasternak was pretending to be Happy Gilmore. Well, considering how empty the stands were, (laughs) I don't know who was actually watching. Because you know what the problem was? 
So they showed the live tapings of the outdoor parts in the arena. So mm-hmm. when they would go to those and they would cut to them, they were showing them on the Jumbotron. Mm-hmm. And every time the videos would start on the Jumbotron, everybody would get up out of their seats and leave. And so they would go to the restroom, go to the concession mm-hmm. stand, whatever. So then every time those events would end and they'd come back to do something on the ice, the crowd was empty again. And it because of the way they had it timed, people kept getting up and leaving their seats. And so... Yeah, was it sparse crowd to begin with? It was. But at the same time, every time they'd come back from commercial break, it made it look even worse. So um, there was this thing called the pitch and puck, which was like a golf thing. And that's probably when they should have used the Happy Gilmore joke. But honestly, I didn't watch that because they were doing this full on like, we're going to use a golf announcer voice and be very quiet. And I just found this part really boring and I I couldn't pay attention. So I was playing with my phone the whole time that they were doing the pitch and puck competition. I like the golf part because if there are anybody, any, any uh, athletes that know how to golf, it's hockey players. Of course. And uh, I thought that was pretty good where they had to, they had to basically shoot the hockey puck down the uh, fairway get as close to the green as they could and then switch it out for a ball and and hit the ball. I was trying to figure out what the heck they had the greens covered with. They had something looked like fake outdoor grass Hmm. because that was certainly not the actual grass from the greens, but they probably didn't want it all tore up with hockey sticks and hockey pucks and everything else. Right. I didn't Um, mind that event. I just think it's funny that uh, Nick Suzuki wins it and, uh, uh, essentially, because it was sponsored by Chipotle, he gets free Chipotle for a year. There's no Chipotles in Montreal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Talk about a terrible gift. Yeah, I don't think there's any in Montreal. I think the closest ones are like in uh, Ontario somewhere. Probably. I think, there's, I think there's some in BC also. But yeah. I'm not wow. an expert on the locations of Chipotle, but I'm pretty sure there's none in Montreal. <laughs> So the All-Star game itself, just to recap how the three games played out. So game one, the Central Division beat the Pacific Division by a score of 6-4. to four. In game two, the Atlantic Division beat the Metropolitan Division 10-6. to six. And then in the third game, the Atlantic Division beat the Central Division 7-5. to five. The All-Star MVP was Matthew Kachuk, who had four goals and three assists in his two games and also he's on the Florida Panthers now this year and it was in the Panthers home arena so you know yeah he was the hometown favorite or the hometown hero and he won the MVP and I think that's nice and I know people are crying but Dylan Larkin scored five goals but it's like yeah but I don't know seven points is also really freaking good and he's a Panther just let him have it you know this isn't like the most serious thing in the world. So, it's, plus, did you see how ugly that car was that he won? I don't with the All Star logo on the front on that the hood of it. That was the worst looking car. Was that blue? Was that green? Blue what color was, was blue. That? It was like a. It was like a, like a, like a dark baby blue, like an ocean blue almost. Maybe I don't know. It reminded me of a Kleenex box color. Yeah, that's a good color. I guess to call it. 
So how come Bo Horvat gets to play in the All-Star game even though he got traded? Because remember when John Scott got traded and they were like, oh, you can't play in the All-Star game now because you were in this division, but now you're in that division and you can't be an All-Star anymore. But I guess if you're Bo Horvat, that's okay. Yeah, but Scott got to play. So that didn't fall under one of the many rules that were created so he could never play again. But seeing him in the Islanders jersey Mm -hmm. and then – Lacing it up on the other. That was cool that he got to play with Pedersen and scored a couple times. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool because that'll never happen again. Oh, uh, you want to talk about cool and never happen again? How about Crosby and Ovechkin playing on the same line together? Was that ridiculous or what? Yeah, that was pretty surreal to watch that. <laughs> also, what I thought was going to happen is exactly what happened. Which was what? They were going to destroy whoever was in that. Well, I mean, and the analogy that I use, I said, poor Andre Vasilevsky looks like a battle droid from Star Wars with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Mace Windu coming at them at the same time, you know, because I don't know if you ever watched the Clone Wars cartoon. I don't know if you like Star Wars or not. I do, but I haven't watched that. All right. Well, so the battle droids, they were pretty inept in like episode one, episode two. I don't remember if they were episode three, but you know, they were just meant to be like these stupid robots that the Jedis could just cut apart with their lightsabers. But in like the Clone Wars cartoon, they gave them a little more personality when they'd be like a Jedi. Oh no. And then they'd get cut in half by like Obi-Wan Kenobi or something. It was funny because I remember there was one goal. I can't remember if Obi scored it. I think Crosby scored it, but right where you thought one of them was going to shoot the puck, they passed the puck. You'd look and like most players would be like pass, pass, back, shot, right? Or pass, hold it, maybe pass, rebound, shoot, right? And this was just ridiculous. It was like, I can't articulate. I don't want to say they were toying with the other goaltender, but when they got a two on O, it was just like, it was game over. It was lights out with those two. It, it was like just seeing two players at the top of their profession. And you know what? Most other players, if they made the extra pass, they'd flub it, but not these guys. You know what I mean? They didn't just fool the goaltender. They fooled me. Yeah, that's to be expected, I guess. You know, when you got two of the greatest players of all time, like on the same line with each other, (laughs) coming at you, uh, you might as well just resign yourself to the fact that it's going behind you at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Obviously, that's the only time we'll ever get to see that unless Ovechkin decides somehow to end up on the Penguins. Or Crosby ends up on the Capitals because, you know, he'll want to play one more year and the Penguins will be like, nah, we're good. And then he'll pull a Mike Madonna and go play one season for another team. And then you'll end up getting all these Crosby jersey cards with red swatches on them, but still picture him as a Penguin for some reason. <laughs> I sure as hell hope that never happens. Yeah. I yeah, like I like when they kept putting, like, weeks he was on the bench. He's like, he goes over to him. He's like, ah, oh, I don't remember how he rephrased it, but he said something like, what's it like playing together? What was the chemistry like with Crosby out there on the line? And Ovechkin, like, looks at him. He's like, oh, yeah, he's uh, he's working hard out there, getting in the battle, you know, winning the battles. You know, I give the puck to him, and puck's in the back of the net. <laughs> Yeah. And Kevin's like, okay, back to you. <laughs> it's like, what do you even say to that? Because he's just goofing on him. That was kind of funny. So as much as I like the all-star uniforms, when they were on the ice, I didn't like them as much. And this was pointed out by one of the commentators that the black uniforms were mostly white from the back. 
So you had a few times where somebody in a white jersey passed to somebody in a black jersey or vice versa, because when a player was wearing the jersey that was predominantly black in the front, on the back, it was white. So you had black on the shoulders and the front, it went down and it was black. But on the back where the numbers were, it was white. So it'd be very easy to confuse a black jersey with a white jersey just because there was so much white on the dark jerseys. So that was a little bit of a fail. It wasn't that hard, but I just think they could have probably thought about that a little harder. Like, if you're going to go black, you need to have black on the back as well. Yeah, I don't think they think about the contrast and stuff. Any uh, other thoughts about the All-Star game before we move on? I mean, other than the fact that that first game was completely listless and I thought this is going to be ridiculous and I never want to watch this again. Some of the later games picked up a little bit. What's with that offsides challenge? All the coaches were like threw up their hands like we didn't challenge that. Apparently it came from Toronto. Mm. I'm like, why would you do that in an all-star game? Rules is rules, man. Like, rules who is rules. cares? Yeah, rules is rules. Guys were skating so slow. There were errant passes everywhere. The line changes were all sloppy. I mean, there were too many men on the ice so many times. They didn't call any of those penalties. Plus, you could hear every little thing because the crowd was so quiet during that first game. I was bored. I'm going to admit, I was bored during this All-Star game. I was bored during the skills competition, which I think was like three and a half hours long, if I'm not mistaken. It was, yeah, it was way too long. It was way too long. And in the All-Star game, I think the All-Star game, I think the format of it is fine. I even liked Fallout Boy. I'm just glad it was somebody from oh, like yeah. 2000 and up. That. Although, I mean, I like me my 90s stuff, but like... Pearl Jam, well, Pearl Jam is still out there making music, but like, you know, if, you know, this is at least it's a band from like 2000 and up or hell, I'd even take 90s and up. I mean, I was fine with Belle Biv DeVoe doing the anthem at the Winter Classic. And if Blink-182 came out and rocked out, I'd be okay with that. I totally forgot that Panic at the Fallout played. Panic at the Fallout. (laughs) No, you're confusing two different bands. That's a game we play. Oh, yeah. We play, we play a song and we say, Is this Panic at the Disco or Fallout Boy? Uh-huh. Most people can't figure out which is which because they both sound exactly alike. But I digress. Yeah, the rest of the games picked up after that a little bit. The second game was much better. The Metro and the Atlantic played like they actually cared, which is why the Atlantic won, I think, because <laughs> the Western Conference teams just big. Didn't give a rat's ass if they were there or not, I don't mm-hmm. think. Especially Kaprizov. Did you see he didn't even compete in any of the individual events that he mm. was supposed to be in? Like, he bowed out of all of them. He was too busy playing with Ovi's son. I guess. I don't know if he was doing that or not. Well, I saw uh, when they, they showed a shot of Ovechkin's kid and he was skating around Kaprizov. Kaprizov was sitting and he was skating around him, like trying to get his attention or like talking to him or whatever. So I think he liked him and wanted to say hi to him and stuff. So maybe that's why Kirill was busy. Maybe. Uh, we'll see how it works next year. It'll be in Toronto next year. So yeah. Tor- what, Yay. Just, just what every player wants to do during their, during their break is to go to Toronto in the middle of February. Yeah. Oh, that sounds lovely. Let's yeah. see, Aruba, the Bahamas, South Beach, or Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> Man, talk about making a work vacation feel like a work vacation and not like a yeah. vacation with work. Exactly. 
It's like having your company conference in Minneapolis in January or something, or New York City in February, you know what I mean? Instead of like, well, like you said, Hawaii or whatever. Hell, even South Florida sounds pretty good around this time of the year. Your home office is based in Chicago and you have your conference in Chicago. All right. Speaking of Chicago, we got to talk about Chicago Blackhawks legend Bobby Hall, who passed away on Monday, January 30th at the age of 84. So Bobby played in the NHL for 16 years, 15 years in the NHL, then seven years in the WHA, then one final season of pro hockey in the NHL. He put up some amazing stats, which I'll talk about throughout this conversation. But, you know, we're going to definitely talk about some of his cards that we like, what he means to collecting, especially for collecting Blackhawks. As a longtime Blackhawk fan and as somebody who has just followed this team for 30 plus years, but is also really read up on the history of the team and talked to a lot of people older than myself to like learn about all the other players and stuff. I think when it comes to like collected players, I would argue that Bobby Hull is probably still the most collected Blackhawk. I mean, now with Patrick Kane setting records and, you know, moving up that list of all time leading scorers among American players you know, that's obviously more interesting to a new generation. And I think about, like, Stan Makita stuff sells, but Bobby Hull stuff would sell for more. Tony Esposito, Glenn Hall, also very popular, but Bobby's stuff sells for more. Dennis Savard, totally collectible, totally popular player, but his stuff came out in the 80s and forward. So that kind of takes some of the rareness off of it versus say like Bobby Hull's rookie card from like 1958 which is the key card in that 66 card set so in my opinion he's the most collected Blackhawk that's probably going to shift for a couple of reasons over the past 10 years there's been a lot more discussion about a lot of the bad things that Hull did during his lifetime which I'll bring up because I feel like you have to bring it up but at the same time I'm not going to dwell on it because I don't feel like we need to dwell on it. There's been stuff written about that. We're not going to definitely get all into that. It seems like either people want to like ignore that stuff or they want to like demonize him. Really, I just want to talk about what he did on the ice as a player and how he is collected because of what he did on the ice. Now with like the Blackhawks winning three cups, you're definitely getting some people who are going to challenge for most collected Blackhawk might be Patrick Kane. Even if he goes to another team, might be Patrick Kane. Anyways, I'm going to come up for air. <laughs> no, I, I can see that. I mean, I didn't really even think of it in terms of him being the probably the most collected Blackhawk because, honestly, I would probably put Patrick Kane ahead of that just simply from the fact of there's so many, so many new collectors got in the hobby in the last 10 to 15 years. And I mean, you know how it is. New collectors tend to ignore the history yep. and they go after what they see and what they know now. And if they just started watching or became a fan or are even a casual fan, you only know the names that are, you know, in the news and are popping out there. And right. like you said, in the last 20 years, the only time Bobby Hall's name gets mentioned in the news a lot of times is for not the right reasons, but, you know, 
that's neither here nor there. Do we call them Hall of Fame era players? I guess we can't even do that because Marion Host is in the Hall of Fame, so he would be a Hall of Famer also. We would call them, I don't know. Original six slash expansion era. Yeah, maybe that's the right term. You know, I'm surprised Espo wouldn't be a little bit, maybe just a little bit more popular, I guess. Tony Espo. Be- yeah, only because, you know, he's a goaltender and goaltenders tend to pull a little more weight sometimes, especially older guys. Not so I- much Glenn Hall because his stuff is really old, but Espo at least has cards in the, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Nobody's ever referred to Tony Esposito as Espo. His brother, Phil, was referred to as Espo, but Tony was always referred to as Tony O. Just saying. Just saying. Let me just run through a few of these awards and accolades that Bobby Hall won during his career. So he won the Stanley Cup in 61. He won the Art Ross Trophy as the league's leading scorer in 1960, 1962, and 1966. He was also the Hart Trophy winner as league MVP in 1965 and 1966. And he also won the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy as the league's most gentlemanly player in 1965. He won the Lester Patrick Trophy. It's like a builder type trophy. And that was in 69 builder, like for growth of hockey in the United States, if I remember correctly. But then get this. He was an NHL first team all-star in 60, 62, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 70, and 72. And then he was a second all-star in 63 and 71. So most of that 15-year run with the Blackhawks, he was either a first-team all-star or second-team all-star. As for the all-star game itself, He is the only person to win back-to-back MVP awards in two consecutive games. And one other thing, there was no Rocket Richard trophy back then, but if there was, he would have won it seven times because he led the league in goals seven times. These are just some amazing stats. I mean, overall, 610 goals, 560 assists for 1,170 points in 1,063 regular season games. So a point per game, more than a point per game. And then in the playoffs, he was just as consistent with 62 goals and 67 assists for 129 points in 119 playoff games. So he didn't like fall off during the playoffs. He kept that same level of intensity. And then just to mention his World Hockey Association stats, because when I was researching this, I thought these were really eye-opening. 303 goals and 335 assists for 638 points in 411 regular season games, and in another 43 goals and 37 assists for 80 points in 60 playoff games. As far as awards, he won the Avco Cup two times, eh, technically a third time. I sometimes see him listed as a 79 champion, 76, 78, and 79, though in 79 he only played four games and they were in the regular season, so I don't know if it really counts, if he counts as part of that team or not he was a WHA first all-star team in 73 74 and 75 and a second all-star team in 76 and 78 and he was the WHA MVP in 73 and 75 and then needless to say he was inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame in 19 
83. Yeah, I mean, you look at this, that's 913 goals, regular season goals, right? If you count yeah. NHL and WHA. Yeah, good math, my friend. Didn't like the first three years he was on Winnipeg, wasn't he also the coach too? 72, 73, 73, 74, 74, 75. He's listed as the head coach, but then 74, 75, another coach took over midway through the season. And 75, 76, he was an assistant coach. Let's talk about the fact that he went to the WHA in the first place. So let, let me just give you a for instance here. Imagine if there was a new hockey league that started five years ago. Okay, because Hull, when Hull left the Blackhawks in 72, he was like 33 years old, if I remember correctly. And he had scored 50 goals that season. You know, 33 and like one of the best players in the league. I mean, heck, in 72, he was still uh, first team all-star. And he goes to the World Hockey Association, which instantly legitimizes that league. Because if you're a run-of-the-mill hockey player and you hear about this upstart league, you're probably not going to join it because you're thinking, well, I have an NHL contract. And if I go to this other league and it doesn't work out, then the NHL team's just going to bury me in the minors. But when somebody like Bobby Hull goes to this league, that gave it instant credibility. Now, going back to my metaphor about imagine five years ago, imagine when Alex Ovechkin was 32 or 33, and if a new major professional North American league started, and Ovechkin says, I'm going to go play for this league. That's kind of like what this was like. I'm not saying that they're necessarily the same player, but Bobby Hull led the league in goals seven times. He led the league in scoring three times. And he was still considered one of the best players. I mean, he wasn't allowed to play in the 72 Summit Series because he went to the WHA. WHA didn't even start yet. But Alan Eagleson, who was the head of the NHL Players Association, basically said, no, someone who's not an NHL player can't play in this tournament, even though it's Team Canada and not Team NHL. There was outrage about this. There were people writing their politicians saying, how can you allow this to happen? There was a saying it was to Hull with Russia because people wanted Bobby Hull in this tournament so bad. They were pissed about it. They're like, here's one of the best players in the league, and he's not going to get to play for Canada because he's deciding that he wants to go play for a different team. So even 15 years into the league, he was still considered like one of the top players in the world. So like I said, that'd be like if a Sidney Crosby at like 32 or 33 said, meh, I'm going to go play for this other league. And then people be like, oh, well, this is kind of a serious thing. Maybe we should pay attention. And that's what Hull did. Didn't really do it for the glory, though. They paid him a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing about that was what I understand the story to be is somebody said to him, hey, uh, Hull, would you go play in that new league? And he said, ah, only for a million dollars. Right. Like he was just kind of saying like kind of like one of those like just pie in the sky numbers, like oh, only for a million dollars, right? Because remember, like guys were probably making like 10 grand or 12 grand a year playing pro hockey. And so, yeah, uh, for a million bucks, sure, right? So the WHA, the Winnipeg Jets, they were like, oh, a million dollars. Okay. So um, I believe the terms of the deal were actually 1.75 million for 10 years. And what the Winnipeg Jets did 
was they had the other teams pay half of that because they said, hey, guess what? When Bobby Hull comes to play the Ottawa Civics or the New York Raiders or the Quebec Nordiques or the Alberta Oilers or the New England Whalers or the Chicago Cougars, they're going to want to see Bobby Hull. So that's going to be a big draw to your gate. So you should kick in for his salary. And they agreed. And so that's when you have Hull holding up that check for a million dollars, that big check. That was the signing bonus, basically. Yeah, I think it was $1.5 million for 10 years. That, encou- that included the Jets and all of the other endorsements that were going to come with it. And essentially, it was going to be like, I don't know, something like $3 million it would have worked out to in the end over the, the whole span of the contract. So if you count for inflation, you're right. You'd be about 1.8 million. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous amount of money because no one even came close to that in the NHL. And you know what? If you're the Jets owner and you're playing the long game, it paid off because the Jets became an NHL team in 79. So that was kind of part of the motivation for the WHA because right away after their first season, they were negotiating with the NHL to join. These were guys who wanted to own NHL teams, but they couldn't. So they bought WHA teams, but everybody wanted a merger. They wanted to make the merger happen somehow because then they'd have NHL teams. So now think about this for a second. Bobby Hull does this thing where he goes to the WHA. It legitimizes the league. Other players jump ship and play in that league, like Jerry Cheevers, like Derek Sanderson. Gordie Howe comes out of retirement. His two sons forego the NHL to play in the WHA, and then Gordie comes back to play with his sons. You know, you had a lot of star players come and be stars in the WHA. This drove the prices of contracts up. Stan Makita had a joke where he said at night he would face West and pray to Bobby Hull because the first thing the Hawks did when Hull went to the Jets is they tripled Makita's salary so he'd stay in Chicago. Yeah. He tripled his salary and he still isn't making anywhere close to what Bobby's making. Right, but he also got to stay where he was playing and, you know, he Sometimes the stability is a nice thing. I mean, I guess if you're Bobby Hull or Stan Mikita, you're always going to find a job. But if you're another player, sometimes it's just easier. You know, if some of the best players on your team go to the WHA, well, you just stay put. Now you're getting more ice time. You get more goals and maybe you get a better contract, too. So that was a big deal. And then these teams joined the NHL in 79. Probably at that point, though, the motivation wasn't so much about getting rid of the rival league, that was part of it, but it was also getting Gretzky into the the NHL because that's really what the NHL wanted. That was a big focus. Like, here's the greatest youngster in the world, and he's playing in the rival league, and that's just going to make us look foolish. But Hull made that league happen, and that drove up salaries, and that added more teams to the mix. And it also, you know, slowly helped the progression of players' rights, you know, where players could say, I'm not going to play here. I'm going to play for somewhere else. They started to have a little more control, although it was still pretty terrible in the 80s and 90s, but they started to have some control over the way their careers could go. Well, and the story always goes that Bobby always, the way he told it, I think when you interviewed him, 
on the show before. Yes. I think you even asked him about this and he might have mentioned it on there. I don't know. I, I know I've I know I've heard him talk about this is you know how Bill Works used to run his mouth all the time saying that you know Bobby Hall was holding the team hostage for a million dollars. And he's like, that was never anywhere close to that because he wanted a five-year contract for the Hawks because at that time he was like 32 years old. Mm-hmm. So 250000 a year is what he was really looking for. Mm-hmm. Never at any time was he trying to get a million-dollar-a-year contract. He just said on a whim, I'll play in the WHA for a million bucks because he thought somebody's going to give me a million bucks, at least if they fold after a year, I'll still have my 250000 Right. So right. it's like, so yeah, you know, here's a player that's exercising his right to, hey, look, this is me. This is my body. You're paying for my body of work that I'm putting out there for you. If you want me to play, pay me. And that's what it ultimately boiled down to. So, yeah. Do you look back at that now? I don't think a lot of players pay much attention to that now when they're negotiating contracts, but in the grand scheme of things, yeah, you can trace this all the way back there. Yeah. I know players don't really think about this because if they did, they'd all be willingly forking over 5% of their salary to Ted Lindsay for what he did for unionizing the players or making efforts to do that. I mean, if you're Connor McDavid making 12 million or whatever he makes a year, that wouldn't have been possible without guys like Ted Lindsay, you know, and, to a lesser extent, Bobby Hall and Glenn Hall. There were other players who did things to progress the rights of players. I mean, even Eric Lindros, when he refused to go to the Quebec Nordiques and said, no, I don't want to do this. I know we might have said, oh, he's spoiled. He should just go play wherever he got drafted by, right? Because that's how you do it. And we're kind of starting to see that, you know, all these players standing up for themselves over time made things better for the players of today and i definitely think that's missing but yeah and like your analogy of you know what if ovechkin went to some rival league that they created it'd be like the same thing i mean think about it think about it too you know the jets went around to everybody else in the league and said hey we got this superstar help pay for his salary so we can keep him here think about that team sign these contracts if you're only looking at the best player in the league so take a Connor McDavid or a Ovechkin or a Crosby or a, you know one of those guys and look around at the other 31 teams and be like, hey, guys, fork over some money. I got uh, three games on the schedule for your team and two for your team and three for your team. So let's prorate this. Right. We'll cover half of his salary and everybody in the league's got to cover the rest. That's ridiculous to even think about that. So earlier we talked about skills competition, and that's easy to do with laser-triggered timers to see when the player crosses the blue line to start the stopwatch and radar guns that could track how fast the player shoots the puck or how hard he shoots the puck and how fast the puck travels, whereas a lot of Bobby Hull's feats were, you know, more word of mouth. I think they used a radar gun on his slap shot. I mean, you know, just using the technology at the time, but things that I always remember hearing that he could skate 35 miles an hour and that he could shoot the puck at over a hundred miles an hour. Now, I don't know if these are true. I believe them, but I have no reason to not believe them. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if he only skated 33 miles an hour 
or 34 miles an hour, or if he shot the puck at 98 miles an hour, or if the radar gun that they were using in 1971 isn't as sensitive or as good as the one that tracked Al McInnes's slap shot at the skills competition a couple of years ago, if you remember that. But if you think about that, <laughs> think about all of the hardest shot competitions that we've seen over the years and when it started clocking over 100 and then 102 and then 103 and 104, 105. Most of the time in these events, it's the same guys hitting these marks. So this isn't like dozens and dozens of players that are hitting over 100 miles an hour. This is a few guys that are consistently hitting that. So if we're going back in time and saying that back in the 60s and 70s, Bobby Hall's slap shot was clocked at over 100 miles an hour, and then factor in the fact that he's using old equipment, mm-hmm. sticks that don't bend. That's something else. That's something else entirely. Well, and let's talk about that for a second, because I'm glad you brought up sticks, because he and Stan Makita co-invented the curved hockey stick. And that was something I talked about when I interviewed him for the, the expo. And I'll, I'll link to that podcast in the notes. Cause I remember that story, but the bend in the stick, the bend in the stick. And it wasn't just like, okay, we, we curved the stick and that's cool. And it makes the puck do crazy things. They messed around with it. They experimented with it, with bigger curves and smaller curves. And Hey, let's, you know, Oh, we're going to heat up the stick and we're going to soak it in water and we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. And they like, they really were like the first players to like, doctor their sticks and say hey we could do something with this hockey stick we don't just have to use it the way it's handed to us and you know i mean of course it started with an accident but i think a lot of things kind of start by accident a lot of innovations start with an accident they spark that creativity and you're just like oh okay that's another contribution that hull made to the game and i'll just say this really quick he could skate he could score he could shoot the puck really hard, and he could fight. He was a power forward, and in 5'10", not a big guy. You look at the the hard shot guys like Shea Weber, 6'4", Zdeno Chara, 6'9". Hull was 5'10", but he was strong, a strong 5'10". Like, strong from, like, physical labor, working on the farm strong, because that's how they did it back then. I mean... I can't imagine what weight rooms looked like in the 60s, probably not like what they look like today or machines or whatever. I mean, yes, they had weights back then, but I'm just saying totally different landscape back then with nutrition and with physical conditioning and stuff. They had medicine balls and that thing you stand on and it has the rubber band and it shakes you. Yeah. And a giant Uh, vat that they'd fill with ice and you crawl into that and, you know, for nutrition, they give you a steak. And a pack of cigarettes. (laughs) So I think we should talk about some of our favorite Bobby Hull cards. Now, I tried to make a list of five, but I ended up making a list of nine because it was Bobby Hull and he ended up wearing number nine. I mean, he was number 16, he was number seven, but ultimately he was number nine. And I think you came up with the list of nine as well. I did. We probably have some of the same ones. I'm going to bet that the vintage ones that we have are probably the same, and the newer ones that we have are probably going to be, like, way different, but whatever. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say three of ours are probably the same. All right. 
you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. All right. I'm going to do these in no particular order because I'm okay. not going to say that, okay, this is my 10th favorite. This is my ninth favorite or whatever. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, the seventh um, favorite, very important. Right, yeah. I get it. So, I mean, these are just ones that I think I like the best. Mm -hmm. So first things first, there's a lot to choose from. And if you believe like the Beckett database, Bobby Hall has 4,539 cards. That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot. So, of course, 2,300 of those are memorabilia cards and another 1,700 are autograph cards. And he only has one official rookie card, which if we're going to do this list, might as well start with that one. So I would pick for my first card here is going to be the 5859 tops number 66 card of Bobby Hall. So, I mean, cause how can you go wrong? It's his only rookie card. Uh, it's such a simple design too, but it's iconic nonetheless. So you have that green and yellow background, that sideways background that, uh, He's got that upper body shot superimposed over the background, which totally screams 50s and 60s cards design. You know, plus you have to love the close-up of the his, you know, nice tied up sweater there and the classic Blackhawks logo on there. It almost does look like his head was sort of cropped onto somebody else's body, sort of, but I think that's just how the card looks. But it's just a great looking card. It's very simple, clean design. It's a great card. You know, I put that on my list, of course, and that was the top one that I put on my list. And I just want to say two things about the Bobby Hall rookie card. I can't afford a Bobby Hall rookie card. It's a card that I hope to own one day because it's just such an iconic card as a Blackhawk fan, as a Blackhawk collector. I mean, it is just such a must-have card. Um I have the 2001-2002 Topps OPG Archives version of that card that's autographed. So that's the one that I have. I mean, you can get the Archives version for like a couple of bucks, but I bought the autographed version of it probably around 2001-2002, and I'm glad I did because I technically I don't have his rookie card. I have a reprint of his rookie card, but it's autographed very beautifully. So I think that like, to me, if I can't have a rookie card, then I guess a reprint of the rookie card that's signed by the Golden Jet is just have to be good enough for me, you know? Yeah. You got to compromise. Compromise here, with the autograph. And here's another thing. I wrote about this for the Hockey News a couple of years ago. There are some really, like, cool coincidences between Bobby Hull's rookie card and Brett Hull's rookie card. Bobby Hall's rookie card, 1958. Brett Hall's rookie card, 1988, 30 years later. Okay. Both are card number 66 in their respective sets. Both use head and shoulder shots. And both of them have them kind of gazing upwards. Not straight ahead, but kind of looking up and into the distance a little bit. I feel like there's such a, like a, like a symmetry or a synergy or whatever you want to say between the two cards that I thought it was just such a cool coincidence that like Brett's rookie card is a lot like Bobby's rookie card. I never thought of that. And now that I am thinking about it, it can't be a coincidence. They had to do that on purpose. Nope. With Brett Hall, it was just like, Hey, he was traded from the flames to the blues. So we need a head and shoulder shot so we can airbrush that Jersey on him. So that's all it was. It seems too good to not be. 
not be played that way. Yes, so. I'm sure 1988, whoever was at Tops was like, hey, we got to make Brett's rookie card number 66 in the set. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe okay. So right. you picked the Hall rookie card. So yes. one of my favorites, and I agree with that, one of my favorites, I'm going to go with his, I guess what would have been technically his third to last Blackhawk card. And that would have been 7172 tops. So 7172 tops has the big bubble letters. It has the oval. It's just a nice portrait shot of Hull standing one hand on the stick. It's Hull like right before he left for the WHA. Yeah, he had an all-star card in 7273 tops. Wasn't an official Blackhawk card. I mean, he was pictured as a Blackhawk, but he was an all-star. And then he had that 7980 card where he was like, looks like they painted over his Winnipeg Jets jersey to make him look like a Blackhawk. So for me, that 7172 card is just perfect. I mean, I love that set. It's just peak 70s design. It's Bobby just coming off a 50-goal, 93-point season and right before he booked. So to me, you know, a lot of the 70s and 60s cards, it's players standing around or it's headshots because there wasn't really a lot of action shots. So if I'm going to pick another vintage card, 7172, that's probably my second favorite Bobby Hall card. It's a good choice. I do not have that on my list. That's okay. So we don't match on that one. So one for two. <laughs> what I do have, though, is his 64-65 tops card. So ah. the tall boy, the tall boy card. So again, another very iconic card. These the whole all the tall boys from the from the 60s sets. I mean, they're great cards. The hall's no exception to that. The interesting thing is, and the reason why I like this card is it kind of is one of those photos that just gets recycled over and over and over again. If you look at Bobby Hall cards throughout history, this photo or a very similar version of this photo will pop up again in so many other card releases because it's just a great, just a great picture. But I think the best part of this card is the color. It's the beautiful design. It's got the Blackhawk logo at the top and it's that yellow background with him in the red uniform. It just, it stands out really well. You know, put these in a binder together. They look great. That would be my next, my next one on my list. That's a very solid choice. Another one that's on my list. Now we're getting a little bit later. Uh, I really always liked his 7677 OPG World Hockey Association card, um, which has like a portrait shot of him. He's he's standing on the ice and it's like a darkened rink. And they use the photo twice. They use it on his all-star card. They use it on his regular card. You know, he's standing, he's kind of leaning forward, he's looking at the camera, he's smiling. So it's a post-portrait shot, but it's on the ice. The background is darkened, and he's wearing a white Jets jersey. So he really pops off the card. A big problem with 70s cards, even if they're like portrait shots, is that they're too dark. You know, we've seen pictures where the player's hair kind of blends in with the background because the lighting wasn't good, but... This has really good lighting on it. It's just a nice card. You know, it's probably the one card I regret not getting autographed. I did get Bobby Hull's autograph 
a couple of times over the years, uh, probably quite a few times at autograph signings. I know one time I saw him at the Chicago Auto Show. He was like super cool, super friendly there. You know, he was signing autographs and, you know, I got him a few times at like the National a couple of years ago and stuff like that. And I remember picking up that WHA Jets card from 76, 77 and saying, I'm going to get this one signed in blue. Never got around to it. But that's probably, I don't want to say my third favorite card, but that's number three on my list as far as favorite Bobby Hall cards. Another one we differ on. Mm-hmm. So that's good. So I'm going to segue that into the 7980 Tops Bobby Hall card. <laughs> and I'm choosing the Tops card. Yeah. And so this is card number 185 in the set. So this card comes out. It shows Bobby Hall wearing uh, what looks to be a red jersey. Uh, so obviously showing him as a Blackhawk. It says Chicago Blackhawks on the card. And again, this is 7980. He basically hadn't played for the Blackhawks since 7172 at that point. Now on the Opeachy version, it shows him labeled as a Winnipeg Jet. And it even has down in the bottom corner, says now with the Jets in quotation marks. But the Tops version does not. The Tops version shows him as a Blackhawk. To take that another step, with his last season being the 79-80 season, you know, he had 18 games for the Jets. So Tops doesn't acknowledge that whatsoever of him even being on the Jets. Uh, and then another nine games for Hartford uh, before he hung it up. But regardless of all that, I think it's just a cool-looking close-up headshot of what looks to be a younger Bobby, but not really. I mean, it's almost like Maybe they sort of aged him a little bit, but no, it looks like they airbrushed the jersey on I think him. They, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I think they airbrushed the jersey and so made it like, okay, this is Bobby now, but we're just gonna throw this out here. But I've just always liked that card because it's that just close-up headshot. And if you know anything about the '79 '80 top set, which a lot of people love this set because it's where the Gretzky rookie comes from. Not an awful lot of cards where it's just a zoomed-in headshot in that set. Mostly action photos. And yet, here we are, one of the greats of the game, and it's just zoomed in. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) So I always like that card. I think it's an ironic card, which I like irony. Yeah, I mean, I guess the card's okay. I think I don't like it because he actually didn't play for the Blackhawks that year and also that they airbrushed a jersey on him. To me, it's anticlimactic as far as like a final card for his career, if that makes sense. Even on the OPG version, where it says he's on a Winnipeg Jets, he's still in the red. Yeah. So you would think that at least on that one, maybe they would have just made it look like a Jets jersey. Well, they could have just taken the photo without painting the red on it and just say, hey, let's find this photo before we paint it over it, right? Like, we have more than one copy of this picture, right? Because somebody had to, like, paint on the photo before they made the card, so they could have just said, oh, let's undo that. So chances are he was in a Jets jersey. We're going to say he's on the Jets, but we're going to paint it over to make it look like he's on the Blackhawks. But just say he's on the Jets. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like this card, because it's so, like, it messes with your head. So the next card I want to pick is now we're going into the 90s. 
And the thing that I noticed is that there are like kind of action shots in the 60s and the 70s. It's mostly static shots, portrait, the player holding the stick, leaning forward, like on that tall boy's card or a headshot, head shoulder shot, whatever. But then in 91-92, when a company called Ultimate did a set called Original Six, and they made cards of a bunch of players who played during the Original Six era. So there were a lot of Bobby Hall cards in this set. One that I picked, they had something called the All Ultimate Team. And it's this great picture of Bobby Hall. And he's skating around the net. He's got the puck. He's looking up. We heard about Bobby picking up the puck behind the net and then skating all the way down the ice and then firing it in for a goal. And that's kind of like what's about to happen here. He's skating with the puck. He's got his head up. It's a nice photo. It's not the most exciting action in the world because he's not moving particularly fast. But for like an old game action photo card of Bobby Hull, it's a great card. It's a nice card. The set was dirt cheap. I got lots of cards of Hull signed from this set because he had a lot of cards in the set and it was just such a cool set. And I mean, there are probably like four or five cards in that set that I like. And so that's another one of my picks and probably a little more of an odd pick, but whatevs. Well, and also the photo captures the old timey issues with taking pictures in those old ranks with the bad lighting. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of shadowing and it's got that, like you mentioned earlier, how it looks dark and everything else. So it's got all that going on for it too. You're right. I don't have that one on my list. That's okay. So, in fact, I forgot all about that set. So, one that I'm going to throw on there, still back in the old time, is the 67-68 tops. Now, I said that that iconic photo from the tall boy is going to reoccur. Here it does. So, a couple years later, in 67-68, they slapped that same photo on a card. Now, I like this card because for some reason I have an affinity for the 67-68 set. I don't know why, but I think it has something to do with that cartoony background that the players get superimposed over. Because I feel like it's like if there was Space Jam in the 60s and it was on a hockey rink, that would be the arena that they played in. But regardless, I like this one a lot because I find it interesting that it's one of the only cards that actually says Robert Hall on it instead oh. of Bobby. That is interesting. So, yeah. And especially when you consider that later on in the set with card 124, which are the all-star cards, it says Bobby Hall on his all-star card. But on his regular card, it says Robert Hall. And I always thought that was kind of interesting. So I don't know why they got so formal with the base card. But anyway, you brought up a good point when you were talking about the last card. Is that mm-hmm. why... There's almost every card of Bobby Hall in the 50s and 60s show him posed like he's some kind of supermodel that's posing in the jersey to advertise the jersey, Hmm. and it's not actually a hockey player. You know, every picture, it's like the blonde hair, and he's like his chiseled face, and it's just featured on every single card. Like, all of his cards are like, here's this guy. He's like this beautiful model. Compared to look at all the other guys in the sets, and they're not anywhere close to that kind of photo shot. 
You know, Bobby Hall reminds me of like one of those athletes that probably could have been an actor. Like he probably could have been like an action star or something. You know what I mean? Because he had the looks, you know, he had the nice hair and he was strong. Couldn't you see him like playing like a Flash Gordon type action hero in like a 60s yeah. movie? Like if that Flash Gordon movie that came out in 1980 that you love so much came out in like 1966, couldn't you see him playing the lead? Yeah, he could do something like that or be like a henchman for a villain syndicate in some movie or something like that. Oh, I don't know yeah, about I that. I see that. You can't have the Golden Jet be the bad guy. Again, more irony. Yeah. So this next card that I'm going to pick is actually two players are featured on this card. Uh, it's an illustration of one of my favorite Blackhawk photos. It's a photo of Bobby Hull and Stan Makita, and they're holding up a puck that's like mounted on a plaque. And what the significance of this puck is, is that in that game, uh-huh. Bobby okay. scored his 200th goal. And this was back when like, you know, he scored a goal and it's like, okay, great. Now it's like if a player gets an assist, that's a record setting assist, they'll set that puck aside. You know, the NHL changes out pucks every 10 minutes, you know, but here what happened was, was that Bobby got his 200th goal and Stan also got his 100th goal with the same puck you know, because they probably used one puck for the whole game. So they're both holding up the puck together. But it's a great picture because they both got these big open mouth smiles. They're both missing their two front teeth. So it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's like if Beavis and Butthead were hockey players and also awesome hockey players who played on the Blackhawks together. That's what this card reminds me of. I mean, it's just such a wonderful photo. One of the sets did a wire photo version of this card. But this particular one, it's a short print. It's the 1112 Upper Deck Hockey Heroes 1960s insert. And this was actually a short print. So it was a tough card to pull. Last time I looked, it was like a $40 card. I don't know if it's still that. I had no desire to sell it. I still have no desire to sell it. I'm glad that I got it. If I could pull a card that I would keep from a pack, then that's a win. So that's another one of my favorite Bobby Hall cards. We don't have the same card, but we have the same photo. You picked the wire photo? I I absolutely did. I picked the wire photo card because, again, like you said, it shows both players on there with the exuberance that the photo exudes with them smiling, their toothless smiles. Um, looks like they're laughing, exposing all the missing chiclets from their mouth. I think it's a cool card, you know, so it's on my list. So I I would count that as the same, even though it's two different cards, it's the same photo. Yours is a little more, uh, artist illustrated rendering of that photo and mine's the actual photo. It's the same. It's essentially the same. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, a photo is a photo, and this is kind of more of like an Ice Kings, Ice Masters, Goodwin Champions type of feel to it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then since that one matches up, yeah, I'm going to go with this one. I'm guessing you have this too. Mm-hmm. The 93-94 Action Pack Prototype. Yes! How did you know? Yeah. And I have both of them on the list. I'm viewing them both as the same card. You had BH1 and BH2. So Action Pact was going to put out these Hockey Hall of Fame trading cards, and they were going to issue them in packs, and everybody was so excited. And first series was supposed to come out in 94, and then they couldn't find enough photos to put all the cards out, and so they pushed it to 95. And 
then the lockout happened and they just basically said screw it we're not making cards but they put out these prototype cards and bobby hall was featured on the prototype and they made two different versions there's a color version and there's a gold um, version of the card so you got the full color and the gold color card you know this was probably going to be a parallel i would assume if they would have come out with these but yeah it's kind of a cool card because it came from a set that doesn't technically exist because it was never made i mean there's plenty of these out there they're not that hard to find but it's still kind of cool and it has a little silver stanley cup in the top right hand corner with the action pack logo on the bottom and it's the old timey photo of a game playing against the montreal canadians you can see the canadian player in the background as Bobby Hall's taking a pass clearly in the shot. Interestingly enough, this is the same photo that was used again on 0809 Upper Deck in Opeachy for the retro cards. Mm -hmm. So if you remember, that was the throwback parallel set that looked like the 7980 design. But it's the same picture from the prototype that they used on that Opeachy card. You see that picture a lot. You know, what's cool about that prototype card is so you know it's another bobby hall card from the 90s and action pack did that kind of bas relief thing where the card was puffy like it was raised off the surface right. um, it has foil stamping with the stanley cup logo it's cool that it was a promo card of a blackhawks player it's a card that i always thought about getting signed but then i looked at it and go this is too hard to sign because it's not flat it's lumpy one kind of fun little thing is action packed so first they gave away the card in a foil pack it was a foil pack with two cards it had the gold version it had the regular version and that's kind of like how the promos were given out to kind of build hype for this hall of fame set that never came out but then they also put out a holiday card let me rephrase that it was a piece of paper and then it had like two like thumb cut notches and they slid in the bobby hull card into this thing and it says, Happy Holidays from Everyone at Action Packed. And on the left side is where they slid in the Bobby Hall card that could be slid out and, you know, collected. And then on the right, it has a list, like Santa's list, and it says Naughty and Nice. And it lists names of people under the Naughty list and names of people under the Nice list. And these are people who worked at Action Packed. So this Bobby Hall promo card was also given away as part of this action-packed holiday card if that makes sense and i'll post a link to that in the comments so you could see it because that's one of those cool things i picked up at shows and that's why i like going to shows because you find stuff like this and you go where am i ever going to find this again you know so that's probably another reason why i picked the bobby hall action pack card because it, it had that other significance at least to me like hey it got also used in a holiday card which i thought was kind of cool and I picked it because it was different. Oh, that too. That too. And it's a nice photo and this and that. And it's a promo for a set that never came out. So there's like a lot of cool stuff about that card. Here's another one I want to talk about. 2008-2009 Upper Deck Masterpieces, Bobby Hall and Gordy Howe. It has the two of them on the card together. And they're kind of like doing like, not the hand. Not another shoot, one. But like the hand grab. You know what I'm talking yes. about? Where they're like, it's kind of like when you high five somebody and then you like, you're, you kind of like shake hands like after a high five. You got that one too? Yep. It's a great card. Again, it's an illustration. So I love illustrations. 
uh, you know, whenever there's an illustration a set like a uh, champs or whatever, I love those types of cards. You know, I mean, we did a whole show about the Hockey Hall of Fame sets that used illustrations. But then on top of that, you got Gordie Howe and Bobby Hall together and they're in their WHA uniforms. So there's just like everything is just cool about this card. There's like no downside to this card. I mean, it's just awesome. Just trying to figure out like where, where, when this came from. So it, just looking at other photos and everything that are out there from other press photos and things, this had to have come from a game in the WHA during the 76 season. Cause that's where most of these photos with them together were taken. Ah. Um, and like you said, their hands are clasped together. It almost looks like they were arm wrestling and Gordy Howe won, but they're kind of lined up a little bit different from each other. It's a painting rendered by artist Ron Stark. He was one of the artists that was commissioned to do some of the cards for that Upper Deck Masterpiece set. So, yeah, it's a beautiful card. How can you argue with two of the greatest hockey players of all time, both on their card and not in their traditional, as you think of, jerseys, which I think makes it even cooler. Because at that time, I mean, that's straight up WHA. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not Winnipeg Jets as the NHL Winnipeg Jets. That's that's WHA right there. And, you know, having an NHL set where they actually acknowledge the WHA, that's kind of cool. You know, that's a good point. I never even thought about that. Going back to that 7980 top set, you'll remember that they had one line of stats, and they don't really say if the player played in the NHL or the WHA. They just have one line of stats. And then it has their career totals, and it totals both NHL and WHA stats together because the way Tops addressed it was like, all right, well, we're just going to say here's what they did last year and here's what they've done in their professional career. And yeah, and you're right. Really, you didn't see any WHA cards pop up. Like now that I think about it, like other than like an in-the-game Rebel League subset or something like that, you didn't really see WHA cards pop up in the 90s or the 2000s, now that I think about it, I was just kind of kept on the DL. Like, this thing happened, but it didn't, you know. It didn't, yeah. according to hockey cards, you know, the NHL, nothing to see here. It never happened, right? Right, and that's the that's the one thing that we come, come to time and time again when we talk about the WHA, is the NHL refuses to acknowledge their existence. So it's like, you know, here's an NHL-endorsed set by a manufacturer that has the NHL licensing and at that time was the only one that had it. And there's a card that they produced that has non-NHL teams. I always thought that was interesting. So, yeah, that one's on my list. So check that one off. What are we up to? That's that's three now that we have. Four. Uh, four. That's four. Because we got the rookie four. card and yes. we got the Parker's Champions card. We got the Action Pack Prototype card and then we got the Masterpieces card. Yeah, I've got two more left on my list. Same here. You haven't already covered. So I'll save the best one for last. So I'll go with this one first. I really like this card, not because the card's anything spectacular, but because the photo is. And so I went with the 0203 Fleer throwback card. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and the reason for that is the photo that they use for this card is one of the most iconic photos that you see of Bobby Hall, aside from that memorabilia one that you always see where he's all bloodied up and beat mm-hmm. up from a fight. But this is probably the second most popular photo that you see on uh, frame photos and things like that. 
you know, you got Bobby Hall holding up a puck that says 50 on it, and he's got that big, I hope we have a good dental plan smile on his face. This photo was taken March 26th of 1962 in New York, where he scored his 50th goal of the season. And that marked him being the only the third player in the NHL to ever score 50 goals in a single season. That was a high watermark for any player at that point. And this photo commemorated that. So uh, with the Fleer throwback set from 02, they slapped that photo on on here. I think it's a great, it's a great card. It's a great picture. That is a great card. That is a great picture. And the whole throwback set was just awesome. If you like bruising wingers and enforcers, throwbacks is the set for you. I think I, I think I reviewed it like 10 years ago. I'll put a link to it in the comments if you want to read up on that set because it's such a cool set of cards. My second to last card, I'm probably not as excited about these cards so much, but, you know, I mean, I'd look at cards and I'd say, oh, that's a nice card, but I don't own it. I'm like, oh, there's a card signed by Bobby Hull, Bobby Orr, and Gordie Howe. Yeah, that's going to be on my top nine list, but I don't have that card. So, that's when it starts being more about value. And I didn't really think about value. I mean, with the rookie card, if it was a $50 card, I'd own it because I could afford it, right? But it's not, so I don't own it. But, you know, we don't really harp too much on value. I was making fun of, like, those get rich on sports card blogs or blogs, social media accounts more so. And I was saying, I bet this is the photo of Bobby Hull that they're going to use on their Bobby Hull articles. And I used a photo of him as a whaler. The joke being that most of these invest in card blogs don't know anything about hockey. So they would show a picture of Gordy Howe as a whaler, and then they would tell us to invest in his RPAs because, you know, those existed in 59, right? No. You know what I mean? Like, like they'll just say, here are the best 10 Gordy Howe cards to collect, and they'll just go down the list of the cards from, like, most valuable to less valuable to less valuable, whereas we'll talk about cards that are awesome. So here's a card that's awesome, and you could probably get it for a buck. It's a 2010 WHA Hall of Fame card featuring Bobby Hull, Ulf Nilsson, and Anders Hedberg. It's called The Hotline because the three of them, when they played together, they were just, they were hot. They were amazing. That's something I talked about Bobby Hull with uh, when I interviewed him a couple years back about the chemistry between himself and the two younger Swedish players. And... I like that card. I like that card because we don't have enough cards of lines. If you think about it, you might have a card that shows like three headshots of players that play together on the same line, but here's the three of them together in the photo. And I don't know. I just like the card. It's horizontal. It's got the three of them kind of like backed into their net. It's, it's just kind of a fun card. The WHA Hall of Fame set. I believe it was 10 cards and uh, yeah, it was 10 cards and I got a review of that as well. I'll I'll put that out there. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a card that I like and that's what we're talking about. Not about cards that are worth $5,000 because they have 17 autographs on it or whatever. I was trying to think of ones that had lines on them. The only one that was popping in my head was the 91, 92 pro set that has the kid line. Did it? Yeah. Those hockey hall of fame ones, the oh, from there. way back when, gotcha. Yeah, not, not, not the kid line from the Oilers. No, 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 it has the kid <laughs> okay. line, the kid line from like 1930. 
Oh, oh it's got yeah. Joe Pri- Joe Primo and Busher Jackson, Charlie Conacher. Yeah, there were a couple in that set that had that showed lines like player lines. Seventy six, seventy seven had um had the French Connection. Okay. And it had the Long Island Light Company or Lightning Company that was basically the Islanders' top line. Yeah, you don't see enough cards about lines and so i just thought this was such a cool card because it's so offbeat and it's from a set that flew under most people's radar because there was this wonderful website that was dedicated to the world hockey association it was run by a man named timothy gasson who has since passed away Um, i've talked to him in the past for articles that i've written he made these various documentaries about the world hockey association he put together this world hockey association hall of fame he produced this card set i mean he was about all things wha he put a lot of work into this and making this set happen so it's like i said it's like kind of like one of those small almost like an underground type set but official totally endorsed by everybody not like legally made or whatever but you know not bootleg cards or anything but just at the time people would have been collecting upper deck or panini and this wouldn't have even been a thought in their brains yeah that's not something that would pop up on my radar either because that's kind of an off the wall kind of thing all right what you got for us i think you got one more and i got one more i got one more i'll let you go last all right i picked another one from 91 92 ultimate original six it's bobby hull shooting um shooting against Gump Worsley. I just like it. It's another great action shot. It's a horizontal card. It's full color. It's in focus, relatively speaking, for the time. I like it. It's a good action shot on a photo. It's the kind of photo that you wish were on hockey cards from the 60s, which they weren't, but it was on a card in the 90s, and I just think it's a cool picture. That's all. Not like, oh my God, such a great Game breaker of a card, just a card that I've always been fond of. Never saw him play either, but Gump Worsley is another player that I have a lot of admiration for. I actually own his autobiography, autographed. And uh, yeah, so to me, that's just another card that I like, but that's what we're talking about. Is it Gump with no mask on and he's probably 20 years old, but looks like he's 70? No, he's Gump with no mask on and he was with the Canadians, so he was probably pushing late 30s at this point. You ever notice how guys, when they were in like their 30s back then, looked like they were like 70? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think it was the haircuts, you know? I think so. Everybody had the Johnny Unitas haircut, not the Joe Namath haircut that became popular later. Dirty hippies. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? All right. I don't know if mine's climactic. It well, might okay. be anti, but so I'm going to go with this one. And you may have been able to guess that I was going to pick this one, but. So this is a kind of an oddball card. The photo's not, but the, the card is oddball. Um, it is a, another promotional card. It's the 2017 Upper Deck National Convention Prominent Cuts card mm. of Bobby, Bobby Hall. And the reason I am picking this one is I'm picking the autographed version of this card. It's my one and only autograph on the list. Ah. Now, these were inserted in promo packs that you had to redeem at the Upper Deck booth at the National. Uh, so you buy Upper Deck products and you go to the booth and you break them there and they give you free promo packs. Um, 
there's a base set and there's a base card of this. But this one holds a little more meaning to me because this is the auto and it was pulled by my son, my youngest son, out of one of these promo packs. And the reason why I picked this one is because this was the last card show that I took my kids to. Aww. Uh, since they've all basically lost interest in such nonsense. And like I said, my youngest son pulled this from a pack and he was so excited. I took a picture of him with it and he was happy and, you know, it was fun. We were over in like the little upper deck VIP room area where you could sit down and open packs and stuff like that. And it was just a fun memory. But the, the card itself, it's kind of like a zoomed in photo of him standing there. It's almost the reverse photo from the 7172. So if you think of how he's standing there with the hockey stick. Basically, it's the same thing, but the hockey sticks in his other hand. And it's kind of just zoomed in on there, with, but it's got a red background on it. Mm-hmm. They're all hand serial numbered, too. They're hand, hand numbered out of 50. So mine was number 43 in that, in that mix. But, uh, yeah, so that's why I picked that. It's probably my favorite Bobby Hull card. A, it's autographed. B, it's very short printed. It's all hand hand numbered. Came out of a promo pack, so it was hard to get. And it was pulled by my son at the last show that I went to with my kids. So I've been to other shows, but it was the last one that they went with. Because, like I said, as kids get older, they lose interest. So, but yeah, that's my top. Wow, that's actually a really nice card to end on. This was a fun conversation about some of our favorite Bobby Hall cards. If you want to know his most valuable cards, I don't know. Start with the 58, not 59, 59, 60, 60, 61. You just go down the list. Start with the PSA 10 version of his rookie card and then go down through all the other 2,337 memorabilia and 1,716 autograph cards. All the ones we're talking about will fall below that. (laughs) Right. Other than the, the rookie card and maybe the autographed cards that we mentioned, Yeah, I mean, the rest of these are pretty attainable, but they're very nice cards. And, you know, another thing I'll say is that Bobby Hull signed a lot of stuff. And so his autograph, this is my God's honest opinion on this. He signed a lot of stuff, probably signed a little too much stuff, but his autograph was still consistently like a $30, $40 signature. Not saying you couldn't find it for less. You could. But I'm just saying he was still kind of around there. Like, even though there was no shortage of signed Bobby Hull memorabilia, but his autograph was in demand by people who were Blackhawk fans would want a puck signed by him or want a photo or a card or something signed by him. So, you know, and he was signing all the way up until recently. I mean, he was signing at the National last summer. So, I mean, he made time for everybody. I mean, you'd walk up to him just in passing and he'd spend five minutes talking to you and he would sign everything. He never turned fans away. He was very, very fan friendly when it came to that. So, yeah, there's a lot of his autographs out there because he signed everything. I don't know that that's a bad thing. I don't think it is. I think if you make a fan happy like that, then it's a positive experience. I think we covered a good snapshot of of what's out there. 
you know, as far as his cards go. You know, anybody listening to you, if you have other ones that you like more than than any of these, drop us a line. Let us know what you like. Absolutely. You can post a reply when I put this podcast on Facebook, or you can post a reply on Twitter, or you could just DM us on Twitter. I'm at PuckJunk. Tim is at the real DFG. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell your fellow hockey fans who are also hockey collectors. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.